Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann. We're your hosts for Commission Ed. Up this week is Lieutenant Colonel Lacey Gano. Colonel Gano is someone that I've been around and met uh, through Air Force ROTC and appreciated his enthusiasm, his zest for life and leadership, and the, the approach that he took to mentoring me and his cadets. And it was something that I thought that would be worthwhile in, in bringing him on to our show and giving him a platform to share his thoughts. Yeah, it was really great to hear his interview as we did our preparation for this. He's certainly passionate about helping other people. I could totally see myself in a classroom with him, and that sounds like a pretty good time, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a similar conversation to Lieutenant Colonel Adam Jung, in that here we have a pilot who ha- is charting his own path for success, did not follow the typical way of doing things. In fact, he chose to separate from active duty. He's He's in the guard now, but, but he chose to separate at 19 years right before he uh, could have decided to punch out and retire and collect that pension for the rest of his life. Yeah, again, almost unheard of. So some very interesting uh, perspectives here from his time as a KC-135 pilot and uh, being an instructor in Air Force ROTC, as well as just being involved in the community and in leadership development in various avenues. So with that, we'll turn it over to Lieutenant Colonel Lacey Gano. Hey, hello guys. Thanks for having me on today. Excited to be here. Oh, absolutely. We're super excited to have you. You and I have been within ROTC for a couple of years now and wanted to reconnect here on the show. Excited to have you here to share some topics that we haven't quite covered yet within the podcast. And I'm sure that there are some great leadership philosophy and things that you can uh, help our audience gain as well. So uh, before we get all to that, I think we should give you the opportunity to more fully introduce yourself, give us your, your background, where you're from, how you found the Air Force, how you received your commission, all those kinds of things. So over to you, Lacey. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, thanks for um, that intro and, and for having me again. And uh, so, yeah, Lacey Gano. I was born and raised in West By God, Virginia. And uh, wait, 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 wait. Stars, Say that again. <laughs> West By God, Virginia. By oh, God. Heaven, it's West Virginia. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's where I'm from. Uh, that's where I ended up going to school. You always see Chris Farley talking about that guy that lives in the van down by the river. Well, I grew up in a trailer down by the river. It was a great childhood. Uh, when I was growing up, I, I really. Um, had great parents, good family. Uh, my mom and dad did end up getting divorced and uh, kind of caught me off guard, ended up staying with my dad. And we struggled a good bit. Uh, he did teach me a lot about work ethic and just really being a hard worker, things of that nature, but education and things in that uh, area really wasn't presented to me besides, hey, you should go to college. My dad was making about $8,000 a year because he reminded me of that whenever I wanted to go and do things with my friends. And I was carrying firewood, cutting firewood, driving illegally, delivering it to to rich people I called teachers at the time. So I come from uh, this background of hardworking people in West Virginia that I respected a lot. But I was always a kid that they said, hey, you need to be going to college. So long story short, because of the care and people believe in me more than I believed in myself, like Mr. Fitzsimmons, they forced me to sit down at this FAFSA workshop. And because my dad did not make that much money and was on, on unemployment and doing some things of that nature, I was able to get this dream shot to go to West Virginia University. So I was excited to get to go, but I had no idea what to expect. I show up on campus, uh, insecurities, you know, we, we talk a lot about what you want in a cadet. Well, I was the opposite of what you want in a cadet or in a student. Um, I had blonde hair with like orange tips. I used to say it was hot like fire. I had earrings in, sagging pants, uh, you know, and 
you know, just for some reason, I, I hear Dr. Dre in the background. Do you hear that in the background? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually envisioning NSYNC on top and Eminem on the bottom. So <laughs> Let, let's go with Eminem. Uh, more. So and, and honestly, I, I felt like I was Eminem, like just trying to get a shot. Um, a lot of insecurities. And while I've done well in sports and I had like a golf scholarship because I didn't grow and I couldn't play. Uh, baseball or basketball anymore like I had some skills but really I was hiding uh, really hard behind the backward hat and the sagging pants so I get to college you know just trying to be the man but not really having a foundational purpose or you know something I really wanted to do with my life and it was second semester I guess it was spring 1997 back in medieval times and my uncle shows up and he's in this 1970s something Toyota truck that looks terrible it's poop brown and it says highwayman down the side and he was like, hey, boy, get in. He's probably already spit in Copenhagen at the time. He had a uniform on, and he was a former Marine because he filled out of college, went to uh, become a Marine, came back, got straight A's, became an Air Force officer. So he did get sick along the way and became an Air Force officer. Well, he was the Commandant of Cadets, which is called the Operations Flight Commander now, OFC. And so he was like, get in the truck. We're going to go, and we're going to run, and we're going to do this stuff. And I probably left my earrings in and everything, went and did this physical fitness assessment, the FA, right? And Got a pretty decent score. And uh, the colonel, this, uh, I think he was the F4 guy from Vietnam, looked at me and he was like, yeah, hey, it's cool you showed up. But I'll never forget, he said something to the effect of, yeah, but you don't belong here. So if you really want to be truly motivated to do something, it's someone telling you that you can't do it, right? So the earrings came out, pulled the pants up, like, okay, let's, let's get after it. My uncle kind of gave me the, the, the grid and uh, joined second semester and did ROTC. So um, ended up getting a haircut, you know, joining Air Force ROTC somehow, some way, made it to field training, came back. You know, I, I got some uh, some awards at field training. I didn't know how, but I got some Fleetfoot, some um, I think I most improved cadet, mainly because I showed up that bad and came back really changed. And, uh, you know, there was that one moment in ROTC as a junior where they said someone's out of uniform. And it was in the, the spring of the following year. And I was a vice wing commander. Like, man, I've really turned this thing around really appreciated the opportunity and the cadre believe in me. So long story short, huge opportunity. And I say that with a lot of respect to West Virginia, because, you know, like I said, a humble beginning, great people, but these opportunities don't just come to anyone. And if it wasn't for the cadre believing in me, I never had that opportunity. And from then I uh, graduated from uh, West Virginia university with a marketing degree. I uh, haven't really used that in the air force besides marketing myself and communicating well, at least attempting to. And, uh, Graduated from Debt 915 ROTC. Uh, only took me five years at West Virginia University to get out of there, and went on to pilot training at Columbus. And uh, at pilot training, you know, it, to to cut the story short, it was a series of people believing in me more than I believed in myself. It's the only reason I got through pilot training. Uh, again, if there's anybody out there that's listening to this podcast, like, dude, being a pilot, it sounds like something crazy that I can't do. I'm here to tell you that you absolutely can. You just need to apply yourself and show up every day and have the attitude that you can win the mindset. And um, made it through pilot training, went and flew KC-135s at Robbins. After three years there, uh, flying, deploying, all that type of stuff, I got my dream shot to go back and be an instructor pilot. And I uh, flew the T-37, I was one of the last IPs in that jet. While I'm there, I had this awesome opportunity to pay it back, to be able to go back to the kids in pilot training that thought they couldn't make it, they're around smarter people than them, and just uh, really pour into them, get them through pilot training. And I did that. And then I got to Birmingham in the 135. And then another dream shot came up. Hey, do you want to go teach Air Force ROTC? And I'm like, man, I owe everybody in this business. So I need to go back and pay them back. So um, if you can think how this thing comes full circle for me, here I am as the OFC. And in the spring, you know what we do every year. Someone's out of uniform, we get a throwback uniform. But Colin, let me tell you, the only thing more important than throwing out flight suits and standing out of uniform and getting to honor uh, those that uh, were snowplows for me to be this opportunity. The only thing greater than throwing out flight suits is seeing those bars go on because it allows me to take that ego back and realize that it's so much more important than flight suits. It's about commissioning officers in, officers in the United States Air Force. And it's such a humbling thing to be a part of. And if people ask me, you know, why I do what I do, it's because of my uncle and all the opportunities of people believing in me more than I believe in myself. And now I have this opportunity to believe in others. Um, so that's the intro. That's where I'm from. And that's how I got to be a pilot in the active duty Air Force. Awesome. So you've done the ROTC thing twice then. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have. 
you did it as a cadet and then apparently you didn't you know figure it out the first time enough so that they sent you back so you could get it even better at it yeah i think i probably did an average job the second time but i gave it my full heart if that counts <laughs> <laughs> well if you don't mind let's talk rotc just for a couple minutes what are some of the things that that you saw when you were a cadet when you were cadre that you feel like rotc does well things that it uh, could do a lot better if you were king for a day what would you keep what would you get rid of you know what are your thoughts on the enterprise of air force rotc well i think i was pretty ignorant coming through rotc just because of uh, two things really where i'm from and then i really didn't have the the courage to ask a lot of questions and i should have so i kind of came in blind and went through it somewhat blind and just met the minimums i was working a job. I was also having a lot of fun with my friends in college. So it wasn't the biggest priority. So I, I should have had a lot more knowledge going through and I would have been better prepared the R2C experience the first time. Uh, but as you know, today, ignorance is a choice, right? There's, there's YouTube, there's so many resources at everyone's hand to understand RTC and the ins and outs of it. And, and to say that if I was a king for a day, you know, I really want to say this with a lot of respect for the RTC enterprise as a whole. The, from Colonel Bennett, everyone in our chain of command, I, I truly believe that they're giving it 100%. They got Tiger teams are trying to figure out things so much. And I think it's as good as it could be for what we have. And um, over the years, it's doing more with less and, and we have what we have and we, we make do. If, if I could change some things uh, in a fantasy world, I guess, if you will, you know, I would just start with, with field training probably a little bit and say that it needs to be a little bit longer. And uh, this is not just personally, this is this is for the cadets because I asked the cadets as they were leaving when I was a field training officer, like, hey, if you could have, if you were a king for a day, ask them a, a calling question. And, and they said, sir, if there's anything that I wish is that we just had another two to three days, maybe a week to all get more opportunity to be evaluated to really show you what we can do. So at the point where they're really starting to job and come together and understand that team and confidence is being built and now they're ready for a bigger challenge and they're getting hungry, we take it away. And I don't know what your experience was. For me, it was 28 days. And for me, it, I mean, it gave me an opportunity because you have 250s. I was a, 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 there's no such thing as a 150, but I was a second semester freshman, 150 that came in that they really come alive at field training. So I'm, I'm forfeiting that opportunity with 10 to 13 days where they're actually in a position to perform, we're sacrificing confidence. And then another piece to field training is I would like to see some type of exit, a reintegration plan that when you go back as a 300, let's really spend some time, like you've met this goal, you've completed it, but now before you go back, these are some things that we want you to integrate into your uh, detachments and prepare them for that 300 year a little bit better than maybe the cadre would because of cadres bandwidth being low with other things, potentially, or one person debt, uh, one commander debt that teaches everything and does everything. So I think there's some application there and building of confidence would be something. That's the big thing for field training. Other than that, like the 100 year, I think um, just giving them a full orientation of what it is. There's different detachments out there that, you know, qualify the interested and not interested qualified. And they may earn a, a charity case semester. And I say that in a way, that you're probably thinking, oh, it's a charity case, they're overweight, or they don't have what it takes. But I will say that one semester may impact that one cadet that's now a student for the rest of their life. They may enlist. I've been able to connect people to Army ROTC because they could pass an FOQT. I've been able to connect people to my guard unit. And I can't wait to go back and see Airman Blake and be like, dude, you made it and congratulate her. And so it's a gateway drug if you treat it right to be able to put people into um, the enterprise. And uh, it's just a good uh, way to get people in. So I think it should be much more broad and, and, and fun interviewing people, base visits, things of that nature. We, we should offer a little bit more on nutrition since we hammer them home at the end of it and, um, and all that. 200 years where you, you kind of crank it up a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's just all about building confidence. I think these kids, as long as they have the core values and they have a, a good system and mindset, I think that they'll be able to shift and have that awareness as a leader because uh, I think Simon Sinek said it or here recently, but just so many times these young kids and cadets are out there window shopping for who they want to be. And you really, you can't look in a window for the leadership. You can, you can pick and choose some, some styles from people, but if you really want to critique and yourself and be a better leader, stop looking through windows and look in a mirror and really build yourself on your gifts, your, your strengths and weaknesses, things of that nature. I think the 300 curriculum does an okay job on that, but it's up to us as instructors to add to it, add some sauce to it, especially if it's 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m., like, like we teach here in Birmingham. 
And then um, I think we've learned through Zoom and doing interviews with people that are actually doing the job. My 400s typically get tripped up on, well, how do I PCS? How do I get, what's EAD? Like, how do I, what's the first day like? And I think using Zoom, we've gotten connected to so many people that they can reach out and do so much more interviews and this podcast or so many resources to allow them to say, okay, getting some, you know, getting my EAD, get my orders, getting on base, not the big deal. It's really just focusing on what I've learned, being confident and asking questions and, and all those things we, we, we typically train. So I think just helping them step into active duty in a better space, not scared about the small things that really don't matter. But other than that, I, I think ROTC, um, it probably looks different in a lot of detachments, uh, but I still think it's effective. And of course, I can Monday morning quarterback it and throw a lot of things out there um, about the way that things have gone down. But at the end of the day, I think that um, the instructors and the folks in our chain of command are the very best that they can. Yeah, I think broad strokes, there are many things wrong with Air Force ROTC, but at the end of the day, we are meeting the intent of our mandate to produce quality officers for the Air Force. I think there are things that we can improve upon, and that's going to be true of any organization, right? There will always be inefficiencies that, that you can address, but you know anybody who's listening to this podcast and is either considering joining Air Force ROTC or is connected to it in some way can be confident that the officers that we are producing out of Air Force ROTC are still, well, and not just Air Force ROTC, Air Force Academy and Officer Training School as well. Across our three commissioning sources, we are producing the best Air Force officers in the world. And the American people can be confident that we are sending the right people into the Air Force and that they're going to be able to carry out the Air Force mission. Absolutely. And I think you as an officer and by default, the way you've been trained and lived your life up to this point because of it, you're trained to find and think that more is possible and to make it better. And that's why you're sitting here like, hey, there's a lot of things that we could do. We also know the limitations of that. So I think officers are trained to think possible, find the wind and innovate. So I think that you nailed it. Absolutely. But we do a a superb job. And a lot of that is because of uh, the cadets that that come into uh, this next generation. They have servant's heart. They definitely believe in something bigger than themselves or they're there to serve and uh, they have amazing attitudes. So I'm excited for them. Yeah. I mean, this generation could very easily, if they wanted to go find a way to make seven figures doing you know, a YouTube channel, you know, making uh, fools of themselves, you know, only having to work 10 hours a week. You know, they could do that if they really wanted to. And yet they are making the choice to make much less than seven figures and working much more than 10 hours a week because they see the value of putting on the uniform and serving our country as an Air Force officer. And so respect to our cadets, respect to everybody who has gone through our program and is now currently serving as an officer, as well as our enlisted counterparts. Absolutely. Uh, I think it was President Reagan or someone said that there's people all around the world that wake up every day and they try to find out their purpose and the Marine never has that problem. And I think it has to do with the reason that we call it the service. There's so much purpose in serving your country. And this generation, they're hungry for purpose. They know they can go and make money. But one thing that they can't make up is purpose. So they find purpose in it. And they can go and climb the corporate ladder, make all the money. And you can read any Ryan Holiday book and he can talk about it. But you climb this ladder that only ends up against the wrong wall and you want to start over. There's not too many people that say, man, I really regret my time in the Air Force. And uh, I, I, that's true for me. It's, it's it nothing but uh, help me. And it's an honor to serve our country. And these kids, man, they, they know about serving a cause bigger than themselves. So it's awesome to see. Yeah. And thank you for taking the time. Do kind of that give back to our you know, producing leaders uh, that are going to take up that charge and take the Air Force into the next 20 and 50 years, right? Hey, absolutely. And in, it's in good hands. I'm excited. And uh, I think my entire time in the Air Force, it's it's really opened my mind up uh, to so much more. And, um, you know, that's been my purpose is to to be able to create those same opportunities for others. So whether it's going back to pilot training, being an instructor pilot or coming back to ROTC, you know, it's, it's, it's why you do it. It's so important. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. man. It's awesome. All right. Well, let's leave it there for ROTC. We can uh, continue the conversation another time, perhaps in the Facebook group or across Instagram and, you know, talk a little bit more about things that we can improve upon or, you know, really optimize 
within ROTC. But for the rest of this the interview in this podcast, let's get back to your roots as an aviator for the Air Force. Uh, you mentioned that you flew the, the KC-135. You were an instructor pilot for that. Let's go back and, and kind of talk through your experience at, at UPT, what you felt uh, when you dropped the KC-135, what it was like being a pilot on that airframe. Just kind of give the audience a feel for what that career path might look and feel like. Absolutely. So, you know, during UPT, um, unless you're an inject uh, guy or girl, uh, during your regular UPT experience, um, you're going to get your assignment night, you get uh, your aircraft after your, your track select. So I tracked T1s and then I got the KC-135. I was super mega pumped because I wanted to be near Atlanta and I wanted to be on the East Coast. I want to do a Southeast tour of the Air Force. And I started out in South Carolina. I went to Columbus, Mississippi for pilot training. I ended up in Georgia and then went back to Mississippi and I finished in Birmingham. So Southeast tour is about to be complete. Uh, so I started out as a co-pilot in the 135 at Robbins Air Force Base. Since then, the base relocation program, the BRAC program, has taken it out and it relocated here in Birmingham. Not only did I do ROTC twice, but I wore the 99th Air Refueling Squadron patch twice. And so I started out there. Um, you get there, you get mission qualified after you know your uh, RTU training is out at Altus, Oklahoma, Altus Air Force Base, and that's about a three to six month course I think for co-pilots these days. And you get qualified, um, basically qualified, and then you go and get mission qualified. At your home unit. So I was at Robbins. I did, I don't know, probably like five deployments as a co-pilot. You start getting good in the right seat. Now they can fly them both. But uh, at the time, you became strictly co-pilot. And then you um, became an aircraft commander in the left seat. My initial deployment in that, I went to Diego Garcia as aircraft commander with a baby co-pilot and a baby boom. So much fun. Oh, man. Diego Garcia. How painful was that? Oh, it was the worst. It was uh, the sun's out all the time, mountain biking through uh, this little island in the middle of nowhere in the Indian Ocean. It was horrible. <laughs> Never go there. Yeah, I imagine that there aren't that many people, unless you're in the Air Force and you're part of like the mobility mission, you probably don't know about Diego Garcia. I think uh, it's one of the, the Air Force's best kept secrets, you know? Yeah, it was it was great. We were paired up uh, back then and uh, so I was flying with some, some B1 guys. It was just a great community, great environment. And, um, you know, you get to go deep sea fishing and there's folks there that grilled everything up for the entire unit and it was just a great time so i finished up there uh got selected i actually got a call from colonel van wert i think he was uh a detachment commander southeast region fill in for a while and uh, anyway he gave me a call and he was like lace um would you like to go to columbus and be an instructor pilot one of the last t-37 instructor pilots and i was like oh yeah and he knew me he knew i was uh he needed to vector my chaos all the time. And I just loved that environment. So he, he pushed me there. And then so for folks that really want to stay in the 135 and, you know, go on the command in the KC-135, they say that a white jet tour like I chose as uh, a career killer. I'm not sure these days because this is a while ago, um, but you typically want to stay in your 135, get to a super tanker wing, get the instructor pilot qualification, try to get an evaluator pilot slot if you can and, and like try to build your career. Uh, but for me, I chose every assignment based off on what I would feel like it would be the most fun and that I could have purpose in. And I knew when I went back there that there was going to be a bunch of kids, young lieutenants that was going to try to quit or come up with an excuse and they're going to send them to the gun show and I'm going to get them through it. Right. So if they were going to quit. They'd come to me and I usually make them sick or something. But at the end of the day, we got them through there. And I, I just met with a cadet a while, or a lieutenant now a while back um, that wanted to quit. And I was able to get him to stick with it. And now he's an IP at Columbus as well, which is just awesome to see that full. So I uh, was one of the last T-37 IPs. I'm on the wall down at Randolph with some other dudes, uh, the triple threat last three IPs that went through for the T-37. I got to fly one off uh, to the Boneyard um, as one of the last guys, transition T-6. Greatest job in the world is being an IP in the T-6. Some T-38 guys may say T-38, but man, you're taking them from pedestrian to pilot, the light bulbs are going on and it's just so much fun. So I got to do that for a while. And then I really wanted to work a, a good deal to get back into 135 in Birmingham for a lot of reasons at the time. But anyway, they got me back to Birmingham and we're, we're taking this narrative to going into the guard, right? So there's a thing called Total Force Association or Total Force Integration, TFI, TFA. And it's an active duty unit that is detached from the active duty and it uses guard iron. So here in Birmingham, 
uh, we had the 99th Air Refueling Squadron that shut down at Robbins and moved here. Well, it was just getting stood up. I come in. And so then I meet all these guard guys and they're, I'm not saying they're laid back and different, not professional. I am saying that they're very family centric and they're, they're very tight knit because these guys, when you get someone in the guard at 18, they're yours until they're 60, right? So they really vet who they get to come in and they're really selective, but it was an exceptional group of people that I felt like it was an instant family. And uh, so anyway, I served out my time as active duty there, transitioned right into the guard. And then the big benefit about the guard, you can be traditional. So you can go in and just do your flight training periods. You do your drill weekends and you can get on orders here and there. You can almost fly as much as you want. Um, and still have a civilian job on the side, which allows you to pursue other aspirations. And, you know, you still um, have that patriot, that that sense of serving a cause bigger than yourself. And um, you're allowed to maybe spend more time with family, to maybe do a startup, maybe start a podcast, maybe do something that you really wanted to do because um, the Air Force will develop you, but there's all kinds of gifts inside of you that you have to give life at some point or another. The Guard allows you to um, do a couple of those all at the same time. So that's how I transitioned into the guard, and then I got recalled uh, through this build pack program, like you, Colin, to come in and uh, serve for three years, extended for one with ROTC. It's been again a give back and, and a blessing. But now, next month, I'm going back to the guard. That's awesome. And you're going back to the same unit, going to fly the same airframe. Same unit, same airframe. Back to the KC-135. I think it's had a couple upgrades, but yeah, same mission. Excited to be back, and a lot of times, you know. You, some people talk about different airframes and stuff, but for me, it's the people, uh, the people that you deploy with, you stay with, and uh, you can have a good time anywhere in the world. And the Air Force has allowed me to, to experience and prove that over and over again, going to the sandbox. But at the end of the day, uh, that community and that unit there at the 117, it's an amazing unit, and I'm excited to, to go back. That's awesome. I'm really excited for you to, to get back to you know, your unit there, your family there, and, and continue the operational mission on the guard side. That's going to be awesome for you. So let's talk a little bit more about being a pilot in the KC-135. What is the AFSC for a 135 pilot? Uh, so it's just 11M, mobility pilot. And then the progression, I think, is what you're going for there uh, in 135 world. Um, there's a couple of different super tagger wings that you'd want to go to to really prove yourself. But then there's a lot of cool places like Birmingham and different uh, guard units you can go to, flying around the world, passing gas all around the world. Uh, refueling fighters and bombers, a lot of deployed time, but you can still do some aeromedical evacuations uh, across the, the CONUS, and uh, we do some Hawaii pushes, and then also just some mountain back. So it's, it's a lot of fun to fly that. Around the captain timeline, you're going to go from an assistant flight commander to a flight commander. You may own a shop like training, or you may own scheduling or something like that as a, as a young captain. Typically, you'll be upgraded to instructor pilot around that same time frame. So you're just fighting for that progression um, in the aircraft, in your profession, but also as an officer. Uh, with SOS, you're trying to get down to your PME. About that time, you're probably going to end up PCSing. When you PCS, you're uh, going to continue to do those things and build up. And depending on major, have your master's degree to get major. Um, you're going to be a chief of uh, a larger shop. You're probably going to go to a group level job. And then after that, kind of depends on what you're really wanting to do with your Air Force career. Scott Air Force Base is uh, a lot of mobility folks go there to do a, a tour there, a staff tour there to learn a lot more to get that depth and breadth that the Air Force wants you to have as a tanker guy or girl. And then you'll go back out, typically probably get Lieutenant Colonel en route and um, hopefully kind of move into like a, a DO position or something like that if you're trying to get command. But, you know, the, the critical time frame I, for most pilots, especially guys like me, is flying a large aircraft. You've done a lot of deployments, especially as a tanker guy. Or girl. So around the 12 year point, they're going to start throwing some bonuses at you. Or do you, so do you stay in, do the bonus route, try to stay in, maybe do command? Or how's your family life? Do you have other aspirations? And that's where the guard or the reserves can come into play and you can have an opportunity to do both. Yeah, th this is something that I've wondered about because I've talked to 135 pilots before and they say that the ops tempo and the lifestyle in the 135 can be a pretty intense. But maybe you could just speak to what is the lifestyle and the ops tempo like within the 135? Yeah, so I, I lack the recency of experience uh, for the past four years, but I don't think that the mission has changed that much, right? So instead of being over there for six months, you know, there's there's mission requirements where 
Uh, as a tanker, if your receivers cancel and you're supposed to offload 80K to a bomber, well, then that's about eight hours that you're going to have loiter time out there turning left, right? Unless a KC-10 shows up and you can uh, offload it to them or something. So there's different mission requirements that dictate us not to be there that long on flying hours. But also, you got to understand, too, there's, there's some progression. Um, but it is a meat grinder for some people. But a lot of that comes down to that individual and what their lifestyle is. I'll never forget I was deployed with a gentleman that was looking outside our base. And he said, man, I feel like a prisoner here. There's a wall, there's barbed wire. And I think at times in our lives, we can look at a wall and either feel like we're protected or we feel like we're a prisoner. We're there serving or we're there and we're just you know, slaving this thing out. So I think a gift that my family taught me is that it's always a gift. It's a get to, not I got to. So when I'm there, you know, there's a stinking pool in a gym and I'm getting tax free. I'm pretty happy. I'm gonna get ripped and rich and, you know, uh, fly every day with it and give our best and just be pumped up. So I think a lot of it um, has to do with individuals, um, but it is challenging and taxing, especially if you have a family and you're not home that often. And, um, you know, people have babies. There's different things that are going on at the unit that you may have to go. And it's a privilege, I think, uh, if you have the right mindset. I had a, a buddy, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they have someone that's in the NICU. Well, you know, people get to go for them. It's just a camaraderie thing to me. But I also haven't been in a super tanker wing where that's really the meat grinder. So my mindset may be different. I was there. But yeah, you're right. It's shorter times, but it's more often. It's not, uh, there's still dwell times, and I, I can't speak to those uh, clearly. But another benefit of the guard, and I'm not sure if it's this way, I really hope it is that the guard's a little bit more uh, planned out. The guard's a little bit more family oriented where you got your kid's birthday. It's not too bad. You're going anyway. We don't have an alternate. You're going. Um, you can plan your life out a little bit better. And uh, also, they're typically um, a little shorter um, if you want them to be shorter. And what if you need money and you want to go a little longer or you're building hours because you want to fly for the airlines to get those apps in? So there's a lot of flexibility with the guard and reserves there, Colin. Okay. Yeah. So that's good to know. And it kind of goes in line with kind of what you've alluded to in this discussion that you get to choose your path. You get to define what success looks like for you. And, and so if you want those flying hours, hey, it's available to you. If you want to spend more time at home with your family because you've got you know, other priorities, things going on and you need to take care of, that is possible too. The Air Force, as much as it dictates a lot of things for us, it doesn't dictate everything, right? You need to take control of your own career, your own life, and determine what it is that you actually want to have happen and, and go for it. Don't just let the Air Force say, hey, this is what's going to happen all the time for you. Absolutely. And I think if you take that service before self core value and realize it's not service before family, we respect family, but remember that you're there uh, to serve and you remember why you, you started. I don't know if it was Confucius or whoever says there's not really burnout. You just forgot why you started. Right. So I think if you go back to the heart of, of those things and you know a little bit more about me, well, I come from a background where this is humbling to be able to do this job. I never thought I could do it and to have this opportunity and take it for granted and not be that person toting the line and then honoring the work ethic of my grandparents and all that. For me, it's, it's definitely a get to. So when I'm in employed environment, you're not going to see me uh, sad. You're probably going to see me in 110 degree weather running on the track, getting after it because I want to keep that edge of, of pushing ourselves and, and uh, making each other better. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask, you know, uh, is it challenging in the desert? Like, no, it's fun. No, I think you're definitely the right person because you are demonstrating that your attitude is going to determine how you approach and how you deal with each of these different environments. You can make the best out of the worst things. You're a perfect example of that. I think we talked about ROTC and that's something that I drive home, especially I try to as much as I can with the 100s. We just had a cadet uh, get a scholarship and I remember day one with the, the first fitness assessment and everybody looking down like, man, it's their first one. So I pull all the 100s over there and I asked them, when's the last time that you gave 100%? And I'm not talking about the 100% you gave in gym class in high school. I'm talking about that 100% that your baby sister's bleeding out in your hands or you have to get to this point or you're going to die or something's chasing, trying to kill you. That 100%, all of it. When's the last time you gave it? And, um, and I said, if, if anybody can raise their hand and say today, raise your hand. There wasn't one hand raised. And um, the girl that just got the scholarship, I noticed on her, her, her second FA, the one that counted, she had 100 written on her, on her hand. 
And it's, it's ironic that she's the one that got the scholarship, but she really understood that mindset of giving hundred percent, being all in. And it's that attitude of mindset that it's not just assertiveness. It's, it comes with respect. There's that attitude of really wanting to give your best and excellence in all that we do, that how you do anything is how you do everything. And um, I think that's something that ROTC can teach, but I think it's something that we've got to continue to take with us on all those deployments, even when it's hot and sweaty and 120 degrees in the back of an airplane. Oh, yeah. Again, ROTC is there to plant the seed, to give you the, the direction, give you the vector, but you got to take that into, into the big Air Force and take ownership of it and continue developing. No one is going to be pushing you as much as you can push yourself. Love it. All right. One more thing on the KC-135. If you could speak to the crude environment, because I know that uh, you've got left seat, right seat in there. You've got the boom operator. What is it like being an officer in that type of air crew environment? Um, I think it's a great environment. Um, first of all, you got to start with uh, not just everyone on base, but you got to start with maintenance because I don't know how many 1957 Chevrolets you see out on the road today, but there's not too many. You know, and to keep an aircraft from the late 50s, early 60s going, I mean, you got you to gotta think about the maintainers and those folks that are keeping you safe and turning those wrenches and, and keeping this antique, you know, Iron Maiden warrior like going. So it really speaks to the testament to the, to the maintainers. And then 90% of this aircraft, right? Because I'm in the cockpit, I'm up front, I got the best view in the house, almost. The boom operator has a little bit better one. But being up in the front, 90% of that aircraft, whether it's a cargo mission or a refueling mission, belongs to an 18, 19-year-old boom operator or in the guard, you know, almost a 60-year-old in the, in the middle of the heat. So whether it's young to old, they're the ones that's putting the cargo in. They're the ones that's working with the doctors for uh, if we have to put litters in there and handle patients. So we don't have a flight engineer. That 19-year-old boom operator, she has to uh, do all of our um, moment and, and put all these things in the different compartments. And we're trusting her at 19, 20 years old to make sure it's right so we can take off safely. I think that's incredible to, to have that opportunity to fly with them. And of course, you have a lot of time in the cockpit. So it also how well you can get along with people. And in this world, you get an opportunity to, to meet a lot of different people and, and have conversations. But there's such a level of respect in the profession of arms that um, whether I'm flying with a Christian or a Muslim, the conversations are full of respect and knowledge and the eagerness to learn about each other. This mutual respect that's given, not earned, is just awesome. So you can learn a lot. People have different experiences. So um, the pilots that you fly with, um, both male and female, and the different crews is amazing. And you can get paired up with anyone around the world. And I know you hear this a lot, but it's ultimately true in the KC-135. If you're downrange, you may not know your co-pilot tomorrow because your co-pilot got sick. And I'll never forget, you know, I got paired with this young first-timer co-pilot, and she was just, we, we, we flew through a storm, we got struck by lightning, uh, wasn't my fault, but we got struck by lightning, and I never again we got on the ground, she was like, oh, oh. I looked at her and said, that was easy, and, and she started laughing, and we had such a great time. And um, so flying the KC-135, I love that environment, the maintainers are awesome, the, the, the crew is typically... I'm not saying they're laid back, but I mean, you have a bathroom, you got like an oven back there and you get really creative. Innovation at its best is how you can make pizza in the desert. And uh, so at the end of the day, it's awesome. And it really, a lot of people think that in, in the fighter world, you don't have that, but you have a wingman right beside you too. So I think all environments are great, um, but it's, it's a lot of fun in the 135 environment for sure for me. That's really cool. And I love that the first place that you went to was outside the aircraft that you see that your crew is more than just the people that are on the, the 135 with you, that you involve the maintainers in the generation of the sortie. And by extension, that, that goes to you know, the engineers that provide you the runway and the hangar for that maintenance and the, the four support airmen that are you know, pushing your paperwork, making sure that you're getting you know, your training properly documented and getting the class dates that you need and the security forces guys that are checking IDs at the, at the gate or responding to emergencies outside, you know, everybody, whether non or, or actually involved in the sortie generation you, on the aircraft or, or touching it, everybody's is part of this bigger idea of air crew even though not everybody's going to be flying. And I, so I just loved that that was your default. That's where, where you went to first. Well, you know, when you make enough mistakes uh, called experience, you know where to go. When I was young and uh, ego-driven and stuff, I probably wouldn't have said that. Um, it's also a humbling experience to, 
to be in front of juniors and ROTC three hours a week where they're staring at you and you find the better part of yourself, the better version that needs to say the things that you needed to know and hear when you were that age. Every semester, we typically try to get over to the 117th and we get a static display, go up on the aircraft and I make it a point to, to bring in the airmen to uh, whether security forces, putting a, a cadet on the ground and, and just to really integrate that so um, they know that more going into the Air Force because for me, it took, uh, it's always the old, old folks like you and me, the gray hairs that are trying to instill that and we learned it at later. So I really hope that our younger generation get that and I think they will, but there's no air power uh, without airmen. And uh, that's something that I'm, I'm growing to learn more and more and appreciate more and more as I get older. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you want to say about the 135 mission and being a pilot, being an officer in that mission or that type of environment? Oh, I think it's great for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's an Air Mobility Command where, you know, if you're a Air Force, you want to be a general one day, you know, the, the 135 will get you there. If it's something that you, your actual goal is to, you know, accumulate hours and go into the Guard Reserve and and keep flying the, the 135, but go into the airlines, um, she'll get you there. So I think it's a, a great platform. It's also one of these platforms with a lot of redundancies. So it's a very safe aircraft. We actually took out the parachutes in the back because they weigh too much. Why would you do that? Sounds risky. No, it actually speaks to how safe the KC-135 is. So it's a great, great community, great aircraft, and it's a lot of fun. And it's crew driven. And um, so I would recommend it to anyone out there. It's probably uh, not the sexiest aircraft on assignment night, but whenever those fighter guys and girls, their their voices up a couple octaves and they're like, oh my gosh, I need fuel right now uh, on a sexy scale. You know, the uh, the KC-135 goes about a, from a six or a seven up to about a 10. And uh, and I say that with respect to to those terms, but it's a valuable asset that um, that you can fly and has a lot of missions within that same air refueling mission, whether it's cargo and humanitarian effort too, that it can be known for. So great platform. I would recommend it for everyone. Yeah. It, it makes me think about how within civil engineering, the other AFSC, the other officer that is our best friend is finance, contracting, and logistics. Those are the people that we love most. And just listening to you, I imagine that the F-16 pilot, the A-10 pilot, those plenty aircraft guys, their best friend is the 11 Mike, KC-135, KC-10, KC-46 pilot. You know, when, when they see you, they're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm going to make it an, another couple of hours. Yeah, and you know, there's, there's some cool stories that you can be involved in too that you may not think about. But if you think about uh, whether it's a fighter and burner trying to get to a target, but anytime that people need fuel in a, in a serious situation where there's trapped fuel and they, they need to be drugged all the way home, um, there was an instance where back in 2003, I was on one of my first deployments, and I'll never forget these two AT, A-10 guys calling, and we didn't have the fuel. We dropped down. Uh, I think we went below the altitude that we were allowed to because they couldn't get to us, and we were able to drag those folks home so they didn't have to punch out and get rolled up at a serious time. And so we were probably the most important airplane out there to them at that moment. But some pilot training advice is your favorite aircraft is always the one that you're flying. It's always the one that you really want to make your priority and learn everything about it. Uh, but that day, those A-10 guys made me realize it's a great air aircraft to fly. Um, and everything's built on stories for me, the affective side of things. So as a young cocky co-pilot, I landed the aircraft and the, the guys told me and the girls told me, make sure you land it really nice and smooth because we have all these people that are hurt in the back that were taken out west. I think we're taking the Fort Sam or something like that. So they say, you better be a good landing. All I could think about was a landing and being cool. And um, I was probably mid-20s and a young, brand-new co-pilot first, aeromedical evacuation sortie. And when I landed, I was like, man, it's a good one. Sweet. They're not going to dog me. That's all I could think about. When I went into the back, Colin, they're taking people off this jet down the stairs that are hurt, that are like 19 years old. They look like kids. And I'm a kid at the time. And I'll never forget this guy. He wouldn't get off the go out the cargo door. He was in a, a bed. And he was laying there and he was pointing at me and I, I lost it. I was like, I don't, I don't know what he wants. And they were like, well, you're the pilot, right? He wants to talk to the pilot. I go over to this guy and he could barely talk. And he's like 19 years old. And I just remember like, you know, I could tell he'd been in, you know, in, uh, on the front line. And he just looked at me and said, I always wanted to be a pilot. 
at that moment, you know, I, I was I was slowly realizing that it's so much more about something bigger and a, and a, and a mission. And slowly, my ego is is being able to to be put in check and realize I was just worried about landing the aircraft, but I'm getting these people home. And what a big mission! And that was through the KC-135. Now, C-17, they have so many missions like that, but the KC-135, we do that too. And those are special moments that I'll remember from my time in the 135. Yeah, because you don't do it nearly as often, it makes it that much more special, that much more poignant because they don't happen that much. Absolutely. Well, I love listening to your experience and, and the way that you're describing the, the 135. It makes me that much more appreciative of guys like, like you that are out there passing gas to the, the warfighter and, uh, and also doing the air medical evacuation mission, uh, just really cool stuff. So I, I'm going to turn the rest of the time over to you to talk about other th- things that you're involved in, both within the Air Force or outside. I, I know you're part of Team Red, White, and Blue, if you want to speak to that. Anything that you want to help our audience become more aware of? Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. I, I think to speak to Team Red, White, and Blue, there's young uh, officers and there's there's enlisted out there no matter who's listening to this podcast if you're an airman team red white and blue is a nonprofit organization it's a national nonprofit that enriches the lives of veterans through social and physical activities it's something you can get involved with to help establish social connections to replace the camaraderie lost of people getting out of the military with community gained and you can go and volunteer there easy to do is teamrwb.org so rwb is a great way to do that also it's really interesting to see how RWB is replacing the uh, the Marine Leagues, the Legions, and all of these organizations that used to be old drinking holes. Well, those folks are dying off. They need that connection. And RWB is the next generation of those things that are going to get them out. And they're going to be at a cheer station holding a sign, just watching people run by. But we're more active. We're, we're a little bit more healthy. And so they set down the drink. They set down the cigar. They get out there and breathe good air. And they get their first trike <laughs> as a 70-year-old. And you're able to make an impact um, on the older generation. Also, Team Red, White, and Blue, with the physical side of the house, we're always running, lifting, going to a box, doing some type of workout. So Team RWB is an excellent way to get involved. Um, on the outside, if you're in the guard or something like that, or if you have the time on active duty or you need that bullet, it's much more than a bullet, but you can still do it for a bullet and learn something more along the way. But you can volunteer and be in the organization and just be a coordinator to help facilitate some of the events. So now you use some of the skills that ROTC or being an officer taught you, and now you can lead, guide, and serve your community and build some amazing events, partnering with gyms, partnering with uh, restaurants and stuff to facilitate the camaraderie that these folks have have lost. And so it's something that's uh, done that for me, and I've loved it. It's also opened up doors professionally because RWB will send me to Atlanta to go and and speak to a crowd um, that's – uh, doing a veteran service project or something like that. Team RWB has allowed me to do that. I've got to speak to the elite organizations because RWB opened the door and they wanted some people that were officers and then, of course, special forces in the military to come in and talk to some of these elite sports programs. So it's opened some doors there, but it's also a source of continued leadership opportunity and family connectedness to be able to, to connect people to. If I had to give like a parting shot to the folks out there, especially in a day and age where I said earlier, like ignorance is a choice, everything is at your fingertip. I would just tell everybody to not settle and to lean in because personal development is at your fingertips. It's so much harder when I was growing up to, to hear from amazing speakers. And I can tell you right now that there's so many books and, and audio books and podcasts like this that you can save yourself the mistakes, right? They say that um, a, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others, but a regular man just learns from his own mistakes, right? So save the time. Um, and, you know, in some of the uh, the questions that you pushed to me, uh, Colin, you said, well, hey, what are some of the books that have, have changed your life? And man, I started thinking about my personal development is so much better than what I received from PME from the Air Force, to be completely honest with you. And I think that that is something that we're commissioned to do as officers is the excellence in all they do and to develop yourself. So some of my favorite books right here in front of me, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. It's a simple book, but it's full of one-liners. It'll keep you going. It'll It'll keep your toolkit full. It'll keep you motivated. But I love that. Anything Wayne Dyer, Tony Robbins, of course, Outliers with uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Right now, I'm on a huge Ryan Holiday kick, uh, whether it's Ego is the Enemy, the Daily Stoic, it's really good. And then I add in some stuff that I like on my own uh, with my faith. Um, but at the end of the day, there's no excuse that you can't be financially savvy and teach your airmen how to be financially savvy with 
Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace University, all these things that you could do out there. So with Simon Sinek, John Maxwell, there's no reason that you shouldn't be soaking all this stuff in, especially if you're living that quarantine life right now, uh, then you should really be just trying to find ways to make yourself better. Because if you can make yourself better, then your organization is going to be better for it. Absolutely. Anybody that's listened to this podcast for any amount of time knows that we're huge fans of professional reading. It's one of those things that I feel like our commissioning sources and professional development programs could do so much better at. Because exactly what you're saying, reading helps you to learn from those who have already been there and done the thing, right? You get to hear it from them in their own voice about you know, being a pilot in an operational environment or learning to start and grow, develop your own company or to get out of debt or pick a topic. It doesn't matter because everything has been written and all you have to do is just pick up that book for just a, a couple minutes at a time. It's not like you have to sit down and read for three hours and you have to read every single word on every single page. No, you just need to open it up, have a very brief conversation with that person on a single topic. Take that, internalize it, apply it. If you like it, keep it. If you don't, disregard it and then move on to the next thing. Just as you're saying, always be in that continual process improvement, but for yourself, right? And that's what the Air Force is all about, is trying to continually improve and get better. Absolutely. And if you're saying to yourself right now, well, it's just not something that I enjoy and I listen to audiobooks, but it's really just, it's just not really me. Okay, good. It's not for you. It's for those that you're going to steward as an officer, even as a, an enlisted side. You have people that look up to you, even your family, and you can change your family history by one really good book and a really good idea. So I think it's our personal responsibility to take it as much as you can. And if you read more books, not only you'll be more equipped, but it'll save you on the mentor side and it'll keep your bandwidth high. Because if someone comes and talks to me like, well, Lacey, I really want to help with, with speaking and this and that. And I'm like, dude, talk like Ted. Here's the book. Use a yellow highlighter and give it back to me. You tell me what you thought was good. And I'm going to tell you how it'll work on your weaknesses. Hey, sir, well, I'm really struggling in my faith and this and that. I'm like, okay, purpose-driven life, first sentence. It's not about you. You know, that's a whole good book right there. Hey, take this one, read it, highlight it in pink, and then bring it back to me. And then I'll, I'll look at what you thought was good and we'll discuss it. So a lot about being an officer, which is one of your questions too, is being equipped. I'm not going to have the most up-to-date knowledge on Air Force stuff. But one of the things that I love is personal development. So I can write a recipe out for books and things that people can go and learn on their own. And one of the things about being a leader is a good leader gets people to believe in them, but a great leader gets people to believe in themselves. And if you can give them books and put them and connect them to James Clear and Atomic Habits, and now they're learning about that and you're able to connect them, connect the dots, they learn to learn on their own and be self-sufficient with that mindset. And then with maturity in the Air Force and all the progression, they're going to be okay. So it just needs to start earlier. And don't lie, you do have the time, right? You're just not prioritizing the time that you have. And if people start to do that, they'll change the world by changing themselves. Yeah, so good. Lacey, there's so much more that we could talk on that and we, we really should. I mean, we need to move this conversation forward in multiple different platforms. As I mentioned earlier, we can talk about this in the Facebook group, on Instagram. You know, we can fire information back and forth at each other, tr get people involved in this movement, this motivation to bring professional reading back as, as something that Air Force officers need to do on a regular basis. So I really appreciate you uh, bringing that up and speaking so passionately about it. Just a couple more questions and I'll, I'll let you go. If somebody is wanting to get in touch with you to pick your brain about Air Force ROTC, being a pilot in, uh, in the KC-135, maybe what it's like being an instructor pilot, maybe they want to talk to you about Team Red, White, and Blue, how does somebody get in touch with you? Uh, that's really easy. Uh, Thepilotspeaker at gmail.com. And um, yeah, if you just Google my name, unfortunately, it's pretty easy to find. So definitely I'm not in Intel like your buddy Reed, but yeah, easy to get in contact with, reach out also on Instagram, Lacey Gano, and um, I would love to connect and help out any way that I can uh, and serve anyone um, out there. I really appreciate you uh, being willing to do that and being willing to take the time talking with us here today. Uh, I've learned some really great things about the, the 135, about professionalism as an officer, keeping my motivation high, my, my mindset, all these things that 
that are necessary to help me be that much more effective as an officer going forward. So really appreciate you doing that for us. Hey, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for investing your time and energy and your bandwidth. Uh, I know you got a family and I know that you're, you have live a very productive life, but thank you for investing in the next generation of folks that want to get commissioned that uh, want to serve our country. Thank you for finding out how to do it and give them a toolkit and equipping them. So thank you for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to do one last question. You kind of already touched on it, but we're going to do it more formally. So Lacey, last question. What does it mean to be an officer? What it means to be an officer, right? So an officer is kind of high on the org chart. You know, the, the moment you become an officer, you outrank most of, or if not all, right, the, the enlisted structure. And I think an org chart at the top, it should be inverted. Uh, so I think the higher you go, the more you should serve. So I think uh, being an officer, I think you become a servant. I think you serve the mission, but you serve people. I also think it's a, your job to, to lead in hard times and inspire people uh, that more is possible, that, that there's a win on the horizon and keep people encouraged all along the way. So to be an officer to me is to have an impact on airmen for the mission and then personally to serve them so the mission succeeds and they can also succeed in uh, their pursuit in this lifetime. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lacey Gano. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today and I look forward to doing it again uh, sometime in the future. Sounds good. Appreciate you. All right, Colin, my favorite quote, there's no air power without airmen. Right? He's totally right. Yeah. You can tell that he's definitely focused on that. So I really liked that quote and I wanted to bring it out and make sure we, we got that out. Another bumper sticker. That's right. <laughs> Do people actually use bumper, bumper stickers? I'm a sticker guy. I don't put them on my car. I'm too vain but I definitely collect them and I have a big collection that I like. And when I stop moving in however many decades that is, I'm going to put them all up on my garage wall. So I collect them. I have a plan. All right. If nothing else, but for you to have some good quotes to put up on your wall, we'll find a way to create these bumper stickers for you. You know, think speaking of that, this is totally not planned. Everybody out of the deed, right? Every bus stop covered in, stickers from various squadrons and units some real good ones there you can find them a lot in like military bars and things like that so yeah stickers i like stickers <laughs> yeah so how about we talk about uh, colonel gano's interview <laughs> yeah sorry about that i mean you did you brought it up you know brought up his his good quote and that quote i think sums up kind of his approach to being a pilot being an air force officer and really just being a person that you know he cares so deeply about other people that he can't help but talk about them you know i felt like through the interview i was trying to get him to talk about his experiences and what it's like to be in the case 135 being a pilot flying the operational mission and yet he couldn't help himself and props to him for it to highlight the uh, the importance of other people's accomplishments and what they were doing around him yeah, absolutely. And those are the kind of people I tend to want to be around. I'll be honest. Those are the kind of people I want to work for. They ingratiate themselves to the people that they lead. And at least it's a recipe for success. Yeah. So what are some other things uh, you, you thought worth highlighting from Colonel Gano's interview? Something that I picked out of that that I've definitely thought about a lot over the last little bit. We've, we've brought it up here. Just the importance of understanding the unwritten rules of the game. And once you gain those, the knowledge of these unwritten rules, sharing them with others. He marched to the beat of his own drum. He kind of did his own thing throughout his career. But the only way he could do that is because he understood where he was accepting risk. He understood what the potential ramifications of all of these decisions could be. And he made those decisions completely informed, eyes wide open. And as a result, was able to do his own thing. And too often, I see peers or I see airmen that I have the pleasure of working with making decisions and not knowing or understanding the impact that could have. And when told, they're, I don't know if they don't believe them or they just don't think the rules apply to them, but these rules do apply. These things can happen. And what are we talking about for our audience, right? We're talking about accepting certain assignments or doing that one cool thing or timing, you know, where, what unit you're assigned to at certain times. If you choose not to deploy in career fields where that's expected, 
you know, these are things sometimes you can control, sometimes you can't, but you have to understand the ramifications for whatever it is that you want on that thing. You know, you're given the opportunity to command and go somewhere, do something amazing, and you turn it down so that your kid can finish high school. You need to understand the ramifications of that and be at peace with that and define success. We've talked about that so many times, right? The importance of defining your own success. But he talked a lot about how he had made a lot of career choices. And that's all, that's something I pulled through that thread. He knew exactly what he was doing and what it meant. And he still did it and good for him. Right. Yeah. The thought that comes to my mind on that topic is that the rules are going to apply to you, whether you know what they are or not. Exactly. And they apply to you from the word go from the first moment that you step into an Air Force door, be that at BMT or even working with a recruiter. Let's go even further back, right? Oh, 100%, 100%. Yeah, stepping into an Air Force ROTC detachment, working with an admissions liaison officer for the Air Force Academy. Whatever your avenue is into the Air Force, the rules apply to you immediately. And I equate these rules to gravity. Gravity is benign. It is amoral. It does not play favorites. It, the rules apply to everybody equally in the exact same way. However, if you understand gravity, you can use it to your advantage. Yeah, that is such a good analogy. Keep going. I love it. Just like... In physics, you can surrender yourself to gravity and life will continue. You may even find success, but you're not going to necessarily thrive and it's going to cause you some pain sometimes. Yeah, if you don't understand that walking off a cliff will inevitably result in you know, terminal velocity and a rapid impact and deceleration leading to instantaneous death. Yes. Exactly. No, I, that's, that's totally perfect. I love that analogy. Can I borrow that when I'm mentoring airmen? Of course. And I'm going to add one more thing to it. When we talk about defining success, you have to define success for your career within the bounds of those rules, within the bounds of gravity, if you will, because you can't defy gravity. And you as an airman, you as an officer are not going to be able to defy the rules and the policy of the United States Air Force. You may be able to, you know, find exceptions or loopholes, or you might know a guy, but at the end of it all, it's going to catch up to you. And so if you are going to define success for your own career, if you're not going to just surrender yourself to gravity or to the assignments process, and you want to truly find success, you must do it within the bounds that the Air Force has set. Yeah, that doesn't mean people can't choose to accept risk and try, right? Because we don't want people to just be automatons and just, like you said, surrender. But just know, hey, the ice is a little thin here and you're trying some stuff. You know that, right? That, that's what we're trying to convey. And I think you did a really good job with that. So Colonel Gano's experience highlights that for us. He's a perfect example of understanding the rules, working within them to chase the assignments that were based on fun, going to the locations that he knew were going to be enjoyable to him. I mean, he was able to stay in the, in the Southeast for the entirety of his career. Yes, there were deployments overseas, TDYs and those kinds of things. And so he saw the whole world during his time. But over the course of his 19 plus years in the Air Force, he's been able to stay in one small locale for the entire time. Yeah, so that, that was just a highlight for me. You know, he, he understood the rules of the game. And that brings me now to my next point of what you were saying earlier is that one of the res our responsibilities as officers is not only to understand these rules, but then to in instruct others, pass that information and that knowledge onto others. And Colonel Gonot, definitely is somebody who is fully engaged in that process. I love the way that he talked about professional development, not just for himself, but for other people. Uh, if you re remember, he talked about when 
cadets or airmen would come up to him and they would have a question about a, a specific topic. And he, well, he'd pull a book off of his shelf, give them a colored highlighter and say, okay, go mark this book up in pink and bring it back and then we'll talk about it. Or another book to another airman or another cadet. Take this book, go mark it up in yellow, bring it back and you know, let's talk about it. And I was thinking about what that would do over the course of time, how it would enable those airmen or those cadets or those people that he was mentoring to learn not only from what's written in the book, but learn also from what other people have read and highlighted what they felt was important so that they could highlight the same thing and have it be important to them or make a decision. No, that's not something that's important to me, but this other thing is. And then for Colonel Gano specifically, when he receives all these books back, he's got all these ready-made highlights in all these different colors. And so the next time that somebody has that question or is interested in that particular topic, he can open up in that, that book and say, hey, here's the information ready for you. Take a look at this. It's just an interesting approach, I think, to professional development and mentorship. Any thoughts on that, Reed? I really liked it. I hadn't thought of it before. Um, something that I've thought of is how I've always wanted to, and I've done it, I've had a few opportunities to do this with other officers where an officer would recommend a book, especially a senior leader. Everybody gets the book and then we all read. And I was like, I'd really like to do that in the future. But the prospect of purchasing, you know, 25 or 30 copies of something is, you know, might not be my favorite thing to do. So I, it's something I've been thinking about. And this is a way that you could have a lot of folks get the benefit of a single bit of material. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Whether you, our audience, choose that specific way of doing things or make your own adaptation to it, the important thing here is that as an officer, as a leader in the Air Force, you have a responsibility to develop others. You have responsibility to develop yourself, obviously. You know, this is something that we talk about regularly. But as a leader, you need to develop and create other leaders. And this is one way that you might be able to do it. Yep, absolutely. And I, I think about, as I look back on my own short career, there were a few key moments in time where someone made a difference by sharing important information with me. That's something that uh, Colonel Gano talked about a few times. There were a couple key points in his life where someone stepped in and said something or did something. And it definitely gave me a little time. You know, I've thought about what are those for me and am I being that for other people? Yeah, absolutely. Well, big thanks to Colonel Gano for taking the time to share this information, share his experience with us, his time as a pilot, his time as an instructor, his long and distinguished career of serving the Air Force and its airmen. We greatly appreciate him and wish him the best of luck and success as he moves forward in his career. Awesome, Colin. Thanks for making that one happen. And uh, that's all we've got this week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement.